This show is brought to you by Female Alliance Media, by women, for women. Hey, this is Andrea, and I'm the host of the Balance and Bliss podcast. Your girl loves to chat, and if you're looking to connect with your body in a physical, mental, and more intentional way, then come tune in with me weekly as I share with you relatable and actionable things you can do on your pursuit to wellness and happiness. Come on over. You deserve a little more bliss in your life. podcast. Whoops. Sorry, guys. It is Monday morning. Happy mom day. Happy day. First day, like first official back to work. Official first day of March break. First day of, you know, time change, like getting back into routine with the time change. I wonder how everyone did with the time change. We did great. I, that was my day to sleep in. So it was a good day to sleep in, but I still feel exhausted. I find spring forward to be so much harder for myself. And I don't understand that, but like, I know it's because we lose an hour, but like the days get longer and I don't know, like it's such a positive thing, but I always find it's like such a hard adjustment for me personally, but we survived it's first day of March break. And I hope everyone is doing well. If you're in um, Ontario, I guess I was gonna say Canada, but I don't know that it's March break for everyone in Canada right now. But in Ontario specifically, happy March break. We aren't doing too much. I'm working pretty much the whole March break. So is my husband. We are, however, going to Disney on ice this week. So I am very much looking forward to it. It's like, Frozen and Encanto. So it's like Scarlett's two favorite movies and she is going to be so freaking pumped. I think Connor's really going to like it too, but like, I think he'll just like enjoy the whole experience. I don't think he'll be like as excited about the, you know, who is on the ice. So anyway, so today's episode is such a good one. I'm really excited to release this one. I have been kind of wanting to release it for few weeks now, you know, it was kind of one of those, like we recorded it and I was like, this needs to go out immediately because it was so good. I have Dr. Susan Landers on the podcast today. She is a retired NICU doctor. She is a mom and she is now also an author of the book, So Many Babies. And I read the email that she sent me about potentially coming on the podcast as a guest and jumped on it. So one of the reasons I jumped on it is because Susan has so many incredible stories. You can only assume, right? So many amazing stories about babies and the strength of mothers and the strength of babies. And of course, has she seen horrific, horrible, tragic things? obviously, but she was actually, and I think she says it in the podcast that she saw way more positive than she did bad. And so she wrote a book about it, which we get into. 
My other interest in Susan is because she is so open about talking about the, t- the challenges of being a working mom. She talks about her mom guilt. She talks about, you know, how it feels to always be the one who is missing something because of her chaotic schedule. She talks about how she separated the NICU and some of the trauma that came from that, from her parenting. She talks about working mother burnout. So if you are a working mother, this is going to hit home to you. There is nothing like burnout that I have felt so intensely since becoming a mom. I think whether you are a stay-at-home mom or a working mom, you can get burnt out and so incredibly fast. But then when you have this pressure of this outside job, like it is just, it is intense. Coming from someone who works in healthcare, who feels the pressure of, you know, our ever failing and crumbling healthcare system, and then having to be there every day, but then having the pressures of getting my kids to school and are they sick and will I have to call in sick because they're sick or can I work from home? Am I letting my team down? All of those things. Am I letting my patients down? It is incredible how quickly you can get burnt out when you are a mom. It is like next freaking level. So we're talking about all of it. Susan actually describes in detail what it feels like, and how to work through burnout. So she gives really great tips on this. Now, remember, she is a doctor, yes. So she's giving incredible, factual, knowledgeable advice. But she's also a mom who has experienced it. So she's also speaking from her experience and what worked for her. So I am not going to go and blab off anymore. I want to dive into this episode. Susan, I really hope you will come back on the podcast soon and share some of these amazing lessons with us that you have learned working in the NICU. See you later, guys. Enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Honest as a Mother podcast. I am joined today by my new friend. I feel like I kind of sort of know you now because we've talked so many times since (laughs) I've had to reschedule and you've had to reschedule, but I have Susan Landers on the podcast today and I'm so excited. We're going to talk about that lovely world of being a working mom. Welcome Susan to the podcast. Thank you. Lovely world. What planet do you live on, my dear? I don't. (laughs) So the interesting thing about you, Susan, is... And this is like my favorite thing to talk about when, first of all, I love talking about being a working mom because it's just like, you know, what, you know, I don't even have to explain right. it. It's what we do. It's who we are. Right. But I love it because you are older than me. And I love, because I live in a family where the women are still like, oh no, motherhood is so great and being a working mom is so fulfilling and we just love it so much. And I'm still here like, what the fuck? My whole family was like, what is wrong with Amanda? She's just so negative. <laughs> how many but anyways, children, how many children do you have? 
I have two. I have a two. Oh, sorry, not two year old. I have a four year old and a six year old. Only two. Well, you haven't even pushed the limit to three or four yet. <laughs> we had my second, and I think she was like four months old when my husband willingly booked his own vasectomy. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, before we dive in, can you give my listeners a little snippet into who you are? I am a retired neonatologist. That's a NICU doctor. I worked in the NICU for 35 years, taking care of critically ill newborns and premature babies. And I loved that career. It was really wonderful, very fulfilling. I was trained to be a good neonatologist, but I was not trained to be a good working mother. But I had three children, got married and had three children anyway, and sort of learned everything as I went along. I've worked at uh, three different children's hospitals over the years. Uh, We've lived in several cities, only three. And I've seen all the phases and all the stages of children's growth and development always in conflict with my work. I worked full-time in the hospital, usually 50 hours a week, sometimes 60 or more hours a week, taking call at night in the hospital. I was married to a pediatrician, so he was a wonderful father and could take care of the kids at night when I was on call. So I was really lucky that I had great backup. But it's still hard to be a working mother. And I started the whole process since I was a pediatrician, I wanted to do it perfectly. And uh, as challenges and problems cropped up along the way, I discovered um, off and on that there were things I didn't know how to do and things that Uh, were a big problem. Like, what do you do when the kid's sick and you're both working and you're supposed to be in the NICU and you don't have childcare? Or what do you do when there's something at school and there's a really important meeting at work and dad can't get away either and who's going to show up to watch the play or for the teacher conference or whatever? And so as those things cropped up, I learned to deal with them just like all working moms do, just sort of flying by the seat of my pants. I did discover very early on, Amanda, that my friends who were getting married and having babies at the same time, my friends and I were all discovering the same thing at the same time. And it worked out really well at work in the hospital cafeteria. We would see each other and we would bounce ideas off of each other. And so that helped a lot. Long story short, after practicing for over 30 years, my kids are all grown now and young adults. I decided after I retired to write a book and I wrote a book called So Many Babies my life balancing a busy medical career in motherhood. And I wrote that book not only to tell stories about the NICU, really inspiring parents, special babies, special patients, but I wanted to weave in the stories of my being a working mom 
and all the things that I had to learn along the way. I wanted my book to be reassuring to other working moms. Like, here's this pediatrician. If she can make the same mistakes that I make, then maybe we're all sort of in the same ballpark, you know, learning the same thing along the way. Um, and so I wrote it so that other working moms would feel like what we're doing is difficult and there's no right way to do it. There are lots of different ways to do it. Um, and to feel better about all the effort that we put into trying to be a good mother and trying to enjoy our jobs. So that's kind of my life in a nutshell, my career and my life. I had lots of professional accomplishments, but those didn't help me be a better mother. They just made me feel really good about my professional life. My patients were um, appreciative and their parents were, and that made me feel really good about my being a physician. And so I had to get to the point where I felt like I was a good enough mother. I write a lot about this feeling not like being a good enough mother. When I worked hard, when I was on call in the hospital, sometimes I would get home and I would be a little frazzled or I would be really tired or I would carry the stress of the workday home with me and I would do or say the wrong thing and I felt like a bad mother as I know lots of your listeners do from time to time. And so it was a process over many years through which I had to convince myself that when I brought my best health, best self home from work, then I was a better mother. But I have to admit, it took me a long time to be able to say that I was a good enough mother. I was gone a lot. Um, I miss some things, all working mothers miss some things, uh, but through the whole process, I felt like I had some knowledge and some experience to share with younger working mothers, and so that's what I'm doing now. I decided that just because I wasn't taking care of patients anymore, that didn't mean I couldn't help out, so what I'm doing now is writing um, and uh, posting a blog, and I have a newsletter, and I um, have social media uh, presence talking about all the issues that working moms face. So I really appreciate your having this podcast, and you're inviting me to be on. I'm just looking forward to our conversation. Oh my God, of course. Okay, I have so many thoughts before everything that I even sent you, but like something just out of my own curiosity. So I work in oncology. So I work with um, adult patients. However, I have had to work. In, so I work in pharmacy and I have uh -huh. had to work at our pharmacy at the pediatric oncology clinic Right, and killed me. Sad. Like, how? How does that affect you as a mom to be oh. this? Like you have to bring some of that stuff home. Like, 
I just know how you feel like if I even see a really awful situation at work now, you know, you see someone my own age with little kids and and they've got cancer and sometimes they bring that home and I'm just like, oh my God, that could happen to me. And I'm just curious, like, was that something that was difficult for you to put yourself in that parent's shoes? Like, how the heck do you, as a doctor and as a mother, how the heck do you separate those things? Well, luckily I learned how to be a doctor before I became a mother and- Mm throughout the course of that training, I saw lots of things that were heartbreaking. Okay. Whether it's an abused child or a tiny preemie that didn't make it or a child who died of leukemia or meningitis. And I think I hardened during my residency and fellowship. I think doctors, especially who practice critical care medicine or oncology, they have to harden a little bit and say to themselves, 95% of the time, the kids we take care of get better. Mm-hmm. And so we have to kind of take those 5% that don't make it or are breaking our hearts and put it in a place where it doesn't bother us quite so much. But we're fooling ourselves. It does bother us. It did bother yeah. me. You're a human. You're right. And and when I was stressed about a particular patient or not getting along with a particular difficult father, I'm sure I brought some of those stresses home with me. Um, When a doctor realizes that they have nothing to fear, and I think I got that way when I was about 60 years old. I think I finally figured out (laughs) that I was a good enough physician. My kids were grown and, you know, launched and doing fine. And when I saw babies that were dying, I was able finally to stand by the bedside with the mom, be there, be present, no matter how long it took, whether it was 30 minutes or three hours. And even talk with them about how could this be happening? How is this possible? How could God let my beautiful baby die? And so I finally got from being a hardened intensive care doctor over to being kind of a mushy, soft-hearted, older woman who really wanted to help the moms and not have them hurt so much but as a physician you can't prevent people from hurting you can't exactly protect them from grief but it does help to be present Mm -hmm. to be present at the bedside to say this is not your fault this is a bad thing that happened to your baby you didn't cause this your baby's not premature because your body did something wrong. This is just a bad disease. And I think it helped some parents for me to reassure them that, that they didn't cause this death Mm -hmm. of their child. Mm -hmm. No, I I would agree. And yeah, I think I see exactly what you're saying. And I also think sometimes being a mom softens you that little bit more, right? Cause you, you have, like, I've talked about this so many times, like doesn't matter who comes on my podcast if they're talking about something heavy or or even if they're not 
even if their situation is entirely different than mine, you empathize with them like mom to mom. You feel yes. their pain, their joy, yes. all of it. So anyways, I just think the work that you have done and you're still doing is just so incredible. So I'm just oh, like, thank you. I'm floored at that. Uh, I, I read the the social media accounts that NICU moms have. There are several of them on Instagram and Facebook. And I did not know for the longest time that NICU moms feel guilt. I knew that they were traumatized. I knew that they were scared. I knew that they felt helpless. But I did not realize how strong their sense of guilt is. And I wish I had spent more time saying to moms, this is not your fault. You did not do anything to cause this baby to have this overwhelming infection or have this birth defect. I wish I had done more of that. I wish I had reassured them that there was no reason for them to feel guilty. So I do read and keep up with all the comments that NICU moms post. It's a very traumatic time, but I'll tell you on the flip side, babies usually get well and recover. Most of the preemies, most of the full-term babies with infections or birth defects, we can do something for them. We have medicines, we have ventilators, we have artificial surfactant to help inflate their lungs. We can do something and they get well really quickly and they respond to treatment. And it's wonderful to see a tiny two pound baby that we're all terrified we might lose actually get better in the first couple of days and then stabilize and then start growing. And that little guy just does well, gains weight, breathes, doesn't have any other complications. And four months later, goes home with his mom and dad. So that scenario is far more common than the death. The good outcome is way more common, more routine, and clearly more rewarding than the bad outcome or the death. And that's why people work in peds. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the questions, I mean, I could talk your ear off about that piece. So you're just going to have to come back for part two and we'll talk NICU stuff. Okay. Because now I'm like, wow, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in regards to being a working mom, something that I know I struggle with, I know my audience for sure struggles with is mom guilt. Every mother in the world does. But I feel like when you're a working mom, you have a different sense of mom guilt because we're feeling guilty because we have to leave them. We have to go to work. We have to pay bills, you know, whatever the reason is that we want to, or maybe we just want to work like me. I need to pay my bills. Number one, but number two, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to, I don't want to be a stay at home mom. <laughs> I don't think stay at home moms, like they're just like an MVP all on their own, but there's still a sense of guilt that comes with that. Right. Like, even though yes. I know deep in my heart, I do not want to be a stay at home mom. Right. I still struggle sometimes when, you know, my kids are sick and I mm -hmm. have to, you know, I have to leave work. You're playing the guilt either way, right? You have to feel guilty at work or guilty at home. So how did you work through mom guilt? You know, it's a constant process. And I'll tell you a cute anecdote. My 35-year-old daughter is a pediatric ICU nurse. 
And she, after she had her first child, Catherine was about eight or 10 weeks old. And I was there with her in Houston, helping take care of the baby. And everything was going fine. And she was pumping her breast milk. The baby couldn't nurse well. So she was bottle feeding breast milk. And I was helping with all of that. And of course, she felt guilty about that. But anyway, she said one day, she said, Mom, is it normal to want to go back to work? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yes. Are you kidding? Yes. After every maternity leave, by the third month, always by the fourth month, if I was lucky enough to get that much time off, I wanted to go back to work. I loved my work. And I'll tell you, for moms who don't like their jobs, who don't feel fulfilled in their work, this is a hard one. Because the one thing that makes us a better mother, I think, and less guilty is making a contribution with our work. If we have to leave our kids, if we want to go make money, if we have a career, if we want to contribute in our field, those are good things. Those are things that women have been wanting to do for decades. And we're finally there. We're finally in every workplace. But that doesn't mean it's easy to leave the kids. That doesn't mean it's easy that someone else is taking care of them when they have a fever or when you miss the school play or when you can't make it to that swim meet or soccer game. And I think what I did over the years, Amanda, was tell myself, I'm taking care of sick children. My children are gonna be fine. When I'm with my children, all I think about is them. And so I, I kept saying to them, I'm not here because I'm in the hospital taking care of a sick baby. And I wanted them to remember why if, if they were thinking, why isn't mom here? Where's mommy? The nanny would say, and daddy would say, she's taking care of a sick baby. So I wanted them to have some sense of the difference. Now, what if you're an accountant or what if you're a lawyer or what if you're, you have a job that's not, someone's life is not depending on. You can still say to your kids, mommy's has a job that she thinks is important. She's making a contribution. Mommy's earning money to buy us the things we need. And so when I'm here, I'm with you. But when I'm at work, I have to do my work and it makes me feel good to use my brain and to contribute and to be in my field. And I think that's just something we have to tell ourselves over and over and over. My husband was a big help. He would say, quit being so hard on yourself. You don't have to go to every single class party. Uh, all the moms don't go to every single class party. He was right. They don't. I mean, you, you can't get to everything. And so if your spouse is supportive, that helps. And if you, and if you tell yourself, I'm making a contribution, that helps ease maternal guilt. Yeah. But I think we all have it. I, I don't know how to escape it. No, I don't think we can escape it. I think it's just what exactly what you said, something you have to 
actively work on it. I'm sure you even still have it now when your kids are grown and yeah. you know, you, you're, you just said your daughter had a baby. I'm sure there's going to be times when like, you wish you could be there more for her or so, you know what I'm saying? Like even my mom right. like, to me now, like she feels guilty if she can't do, I don't know, X, Y, or Z, or if she can't babysit my kids for me, you know? And she's like, well, you need me. And it's like, mom, it's cool. Like, don't worry. <laughs> um, but so I don't really think that we can escape mom guilt. I don't believe people when they tell me that they have no mom guilt anymore and they've beat mom guilt. Like, I don't think that's a thing. I think it is something you'll actively have to work on. And I think you can just lessen the mom guilt. I used to tell my son, um, mommy has to go to work because, um, we have bills to pay and I would talk about money and then he'd be like, well, what kind of bills do you have to pay? And I was like, well, we, I need to pay for the hydro and the hydro runs the lights to our house and it keeps our house warm and, and cold in the summertime. And he goes, and it charges my iPad. And I was like, see, if I don't go to work, you don't get an iPad. (laughs) So to this day, he'll be like, mom has to go to work because my, my daughter will say like, why do you have to work? And I was like, mom has to go to work so she can pay, pay the man so that she can charge her iPad. So cute. That is so cute. I'm like, you know what? That's great. As long as you understand. The other thing I did when the kids were a little bit older, elementary school was take them up to the hospital. And Mm -hmm. I think women can take their children to the workplace and that helps oh, mom's got a big desk over here. Oh, mom's cubby is over here. Oh, mom's office is here. And and that makes them appreciate that there is a world outside of home Mm -hmm. and they may be able to see you in a different setting other than mom with your blue jeans and your sweatshirt on. So that's one thing that helped my children. They would go make rounds with my husband. They couldn't make rounds with me because in the, they couldn't come in the NICU except in the evening or on Sunday. But they would walk around the hospital and make rounds with my husband. And they liked that. They would talk to the nurses. They would meet, meet some of the parents. So it does help to actually expose your children to your workplace. It mm-hmm. really does. And if you have an exciting workplace, you're golden. Then your kid goes, wow, mom has a big job, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Like the hospital, like imagine like a child would think that the hospital is so cool. I mean, as long as they're not the patient, right? Right. right. <laughs> but just to like, I don't know, even when I had to take my child, um, I had to take my son for a hearing test in the summer at our children's hospital. And he was just like, mom, what's that? Mom, what's that? Mom. Like he just thought like the wheelchair was cool. And we saw a kid right, with a broken right. arm. And then he was like, how many broken arms do you think they saw today? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I don't know, probably a lot. Right. So you're right. Like they'd be so fascinated if you have this like super cool workplace. I mean, I just work in an office building. Um, like that's attached to the, I work in the cancer center, but where my building is, it's just like, I have an office. My kids thought it was so cool. And I was like, okay, well, yes. See, they think it's cool. Big computer, big desk. Wow. Check this out. Like, really? Okay, cool. Okay. Something else I really want to talk about, because this is really big right now. It's affected myself. I'm sure it's affected you many times over the years, but I'm finding that moms, especially right now, probably post COVID, but then I'm sure this has happened long before COVID too, we are struggling 
big time with burnout. And I wonder if you could, you know, touch on this at all. I know in healthcare, it's like a specific type of burnout also. Um, I mean, I don't know. I've never been a non healthcare working mom, so I don't know if it feels the same, but I know, especially coming out of COVID, especially last year, it was, it was heavy for me to do the job that I'm doing through COVID and just kind of like how much it affected my mental health and how much burnout I was experiencing. And then having to come home and still be like on, but I couldn't be on. And I think there's so many of us that are feeling the weight of this burnout. Have you experienced this? Yes. And um, keeping up with mom uh, influencers and regular moms and talking to people on podcasts, what I'm hearing is that working mother burnout really is epidemic right now. Mm -hmm. Surveys done by Motherly show that uh, about 40% of working mothers feel burnout. Now, if you were a nurse or a doctor, that would mean you are a certain level of mental stress poorly handled. But the way working mothers show burnout is they feel exhausted physically. They feel like they're kind of going through the motions. They're emotionally overwhelmed, like, oh my God, I can't do this one more thing or one more time or one more meal or one more lunch to pack. And they go, how did it get this bad that I'm feeling so overwhelmed? They might be irritable with their kids. They might yell at their kids. Sometimes when it's really severe, they can disconnect from their children and sort of try to distance themselves. In medicine, that's what we do. We call it depersonalization, where we actually sort of, that's not really my patient. I don't really have to deal with that. And so All of that is to say that when you're physically exhausted, when you're emotionally overwhelmed, when you feel disconnected, whether it's from your child, from your husband, from your work, maybe you hate your job. So when a working mother is burned out, whether she likes her job or not, she invariably feels like she's not doing a good job, whether it's with her job, whether it's with her children, whether it's in her marriage, any aspect of her life, because we have so many tentacles out there, we're into so many different things. If you don't like your job, it's gonna affect how you are a mother. Mm -hmm. If you're really exhausted over a, difficult child or special needs child, it's going to affect the level of stress you take to your job. And so the feeling of not making a difference, of not being fulfilled in your purpose, whether it's to be a mother, to be a wife, to be a worker, to be a pharmacist, to be a physician, to be an accountant or lawyer, whatever it is, if you feel unfulfilled, as a mother, as a worker, that's the key sign of burnout. It's that feeling that you do not make a difference. 
like you just, this kid is just driving you crazy and you can't do anything and his ADHD unmedicated is driving you up the walls and it snowballs with the physical exhaustion and the emotional overwhelm and the feeling that you don't make a difference that all of that together is working mother burnout. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about your job. Sometimes it's about your life at home. Sometimes it's about you. Maybe you're a little depressed or something else is going on in your life that's stressful, but it's that combination of symptoms. You're not sleeping. You're not eating well. You're not talking to your husband. You're irritable with your kids. You're yelling at your kids. You don't like your manager. You don't like your boss. You dread going to work. It all comes together in this feeling of, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not making anybody any better. I'm not worth anything. I can't make a difference. That's the feeling that burnout gives you. And if that is the feeling that you or your listeners are feeling, and I've been there several times throughout my motherhood journey, you have got to pull back, take a break, somehow, a few days, maybe a week, um, <clears throat> see a therapist if you're inclined to get therapy, which I highly recommend, talk to a good friend. At the very least, you should talk to a good friend. If you're not talking to your husband, if your relationship with him, with your husband or partner is part of the issue, talk to a good friend. Talk to a friend at work. If you have a mentor at work, talk to her. Because you can't go forward without unloading all these negative feelings. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, write it down. If you're feeling burnt out and you're feeling awful about all the things we just mentioned, write it down, get it on paper. When you journal, when you write about your feelings, it allows your uh, focused, um, organized left brain to sort of go to the back burner. And then your right brain, that's more creative, more feeling right brain, starts to release those negative feelings. That's how journaling works. It allows your right brain to cue into, God, I just hate this job, or oh my God, this child is just driving me crazy, or what am I going to do about my husband? I don't know if this relationship can be fixed. We all meet those moments, but when we're exhausted, when we're overwhelmed, and when we feel that way, we have to somehow step back and take a break and examine what's going on. I've heard people talk about it as a, a negative thought dump where you just write down everything on paper that's negative. I hate my job. I hate my manager. I hate this. I hate carpool. I hate whatever you hate and write it down and get it out. Then you have to talk with somebody about it. Um, and then you have to say, okay, I'm worn out. I'm burnt. I burnt the candle at both ends. I'm fried. So what do you do when you're fried? You take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to 
sleep more. You have to eat better. You have to go for a walk. You have to get out of the house. You have to go walk in nature. You have to maybe go exercise, take an exercise class with a friend. The friend that you confided in would be willing to say, okay, let's go do that Pilates class together. Or, okay, let's go do yoga together. Or I promise to meet you every Friday at noon for lunch and coffee afterwards. And you can do that. You can recover from burnout without professional therapy, but it is harder to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. Coaches do a very good job, I think, of helping burnout nurses, physicians, working mothers deal with these feelings. The coach's job is to kind of help you get in touch with all those negative feelings, kind of focus on what are the things you can change? What are the things you cannot? When I was burned out from working in the NICU, I was so lucky because my practice allowed me to go to a low risk labor and delivery service and just take care of normal newborns and attend deliveries. And I cut my hours back to 35 a week. So I, I was able to go part-time. I was able to change my practice location. I told my manager, I said, I'm so burnt out. I'm so fried. I just got to get out of the NICU. And he knew what was going on. He could tell I was burned out. And he said, how much time do you need? And I said, I don't know, maybe three months, maybe six months. It took me almost a year to recover, but I was still working while I was trying to recover. And what I've learned since, Amanda, is that if you're burned out and you continue to work, it takes longer to recover mm -hmm. because recovery means really focusing on yourself. And if you're working and being a mom, you're obviously not focusing on yourself. Your, your efforts are still divided. So you can heal in place. You can recover in place, but it takes longer. Mm -hmm. The other thing I did <clears throat> was to meet with a therapist. I talked to a therapist about my issues. What case was bothering me in the NICU? What partner had I grown to dislike? What difficult parent was getting under my skin? What was going on with a teenager at home? What was going on with my husband and being out of balance in our marriage? And so my therapist helped me sort through all of those issues and prioritize which ones I could do something about. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the key. The key here is that we all have to figure out what it is that's mostly bugging us. And say we've got two kids. Well, you can't get rid of your kids. You know, you've got your kids. If one's difficult, then you need to get some help and figure out what's wrong with them and um, try to get some childcare that works. If your manager sucks, uh, you could maybe change jobs, maybe change job locations, uh, maybe have a powwow with your manager. I don't know. I mean, it's so hard to go in and tell somebody I can't stand your management style. 
But whatever it is that is the main driver of the burnout feeling, I am not making a difference. I am not fulfilled. That's where your focus has to be. And so I left the NICU mm -hmm. and I went through the, the issues with my therapist. So it wasn't my teenage daughter as much. It wasn't my husband as much. It was that I was really fried from all the stressful cases in the NICU. And getting away from those stressful cases made a huge difference. I talked to a mom in Austin who was in marketing and she had a big corporate job and she was just burnt out and fried and couldn't stand it and actually just quit her job and stayed home, trained as a coach, learned how to coach other working mothers with burnout. And for a year and a half, she loved doing that and helped a lot of women in the Austin area. She's just a real go-getter and just did a fabulous job helping people. And you know what? She went back to her corporate job because by taking a break, by separating herself from the job that was too stressful and doing something else for a while, she could see what it was that had pushed her over the edge. Just like when I changed my practice location, I could tell it was mainly those ethical challenges in the NICU that were driving me crazy. And she was able to recover, taking care of herself with all the ways we've talked about, exercise, nutrition, sleep, talking to friends, getting out in nature, maybe doing a hobby, playing music. That is huge. Mm -hmm. I took piano one. lessons when I was burned out. I was lousy at the piano, but I took piano lessons because it made me think about the notes and the music and not all my worries in my head. So people who like to play a musical instrument, boy, you are golden because that is the perfect way to get your mind off your stress. Even listening to music is a good way. So the notion of taking a break and creating some, spray, some space for yourself when you're burned out is very important. Mm -hmm. Some people will be able to do it. Other people will have to recover while they continue working. I remember last year, my therapist said something that like stuck in my brain because it scared the living hell out of me, but it was like what I needed to hear. And I was like, so beyond burnt out, like, you know, basically arguing everything she decided was going to be good for me because I knew better than her. Right. Like we always do. And she was not pushy. She just said to me, okay. And she said, well, I was um, kind of doing what you had said and I was really like dissociating and I was like not present at all. Like I was in very rough shape. And I just remember she said to me, um, well, I will be here for you. I am here for you whenever you need me. And I will be here for you in, on the day that you can't get out of bed. And I just kind of like looked at her and I was like, what? And then she was like, because that's going to come. And she was like, you have to take care of yourself. Like, and then, and then I remember like, I got off that call and I was like, I just, 
I just don't think I'm that bad. And then I had seen this quote and it was like, um, it basically like, if you don't take time for your wellness, your body will force you to take time for your illness or something along these lines. And I was Uh like, uh okay. Okay. And then, you know, I sat down and I thought about it and you realize too, like burnout, even when it doesn't involve your children, it 100% involves your children because they don't get the version of you that they deserve. Right. 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 So if anything, if anybody's listening and thinks like, okay, easy for you to say, Amanda, easy for you to say, Susan, (laughs) think of them. That was exactly all I thought of was like, happy mom, happy family. That's always the end of story. And I was so unhappy and I could see how unhappy I was making my entire family. Me too. Right. And it's like that once I shifted my mind and could kind of think about them, it was like, okay, you know what? I need to do this for myself, number one, but I need to do it for them. There you go. And it's as if you're asked to look at your list of priorities. Yes. Everything going on in your life. And then you realize I'm not even on my list. I was not on my list. Like (laughs) I was, I was driving home from work. Not remembering even that I drove home from work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I would just, or like my husband would tell me conversations we would have something crazy. Like, I just remember this one specific example that I came home without spaghetti sauce and he was like, where's the sauce? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And what he was sauce? Like, <laughs> I asked you to grab spaghetti sauce when you went home. I said, no, you didn't. Amanda, I asked you. And he said, this happens all the time. Like I ask you for something, you say you're going to do something, you you interact in this conversation and then you don't remember it ever happened. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. This is not good. And there's so many of us that's happening too. So if you are there, you're not alone. We have got to put ourselves on the list. And recently some, some mom that has a nice website said, self-care is not selfish. And I went, yes, that is so true. So true. That is so true. If we would spend as much time and energy taking care of ourselves, our brain, our mood, our body, our sleep, as we do our children, we would feel a whole lot better. You got to talk to yourself. You got to talk to yourself like you talk to your kids, right? Like I was thinking about this the other day, like Connor gets all pissy with me because he's six and thinks he should stay up till 10 o'clock playing Roblox now. Right. Cause he's like fully grown apparently. But so I'm trying to explain to him, like, um, you know, we, you have to go to bed at this time because it's really important that you got enough sleep because then you can stay happy and healthy and we can do all of the things that you love to do because you're well rested. And I'm thinking, well, shit, Amanda, maybe you should do that too and get your ass in bed. There you go. See, right? you know what to do. It's just hard to do it. No, it it's so hard, hard to actively take care of yourself when You have so many irons in the fire. When you have so many plates spinning on those sticks. I had a shrink once. I think I was 40 and I was depressed after the birth of my third child. And I had a new job and my husband had a great job. He loved his and I hated mine. And I got depressed. It was kind of a combination of postpartum depression and burnout. But I saw a therapist and I was explaining to him, okay, I'm like this person on Ed Sullivan. I start stick spinning and I have plates spinning on each stick and I 
I have like 10 or 12 sticks all over the stage and I'm running around spinning plates. And all I do is one, run from one to the other, trying to prevent it from crashing. And then I'll run back over to another one and I'll spin it. And he looked at me and he laughed. And I went, what are you laughing at? Another one of these epiphanies that a good shrink can say to you. He said, why don't you take down some plates? <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, well, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> so I had to decide which plates I was going to pull down. You know, not this child, not that child, not my husband. I changed my job as a result of all of that work. I hated my job and it took me examining all of my plates to figure out what had to change. Mm, that's a really great example. Okay. I want to know more about the book before we wrap this up. Tell us about, just tell us about it. Well, the book tells stories about NICU babies. Some are stay in the hospital a month, some stay six months and their parents and the lessons that their parents taught me because parents are so courageous and inspiring and they go through so much trauma having a baby in the NICU or triplets in the NICU. And so I wanted to paint a picture of what it was like to work in an intensive care nursery. Another good thing about working there that I talk about in the book is being part of a team with the nurses and respiratory therapists and pharmacists and lactation consultants and other specialists. Man, we are awesome, but it takes every one of us. It takes a whole team to make an ICU work, whether it's for an adult or a child or a baby. And it feels really, really good to be part of a team. And for those of you who don't work in a hospital, but you're part of a team, if you like the feeling of being part of a skilled team, that's something that you should really cherish. Because when I retired, I missed that the most. Mm -hmm. So I talk about being part of a team. I talk about working with nurses and other specialists. I write about experiences I had as a mom that were shocking. Um, for example, my youngest daughter developed dyslexia when she was four. I could tell she couldn't read and couldn't, couldn't do shapes, couldn't do letters, nothing. And I had to struggle to get her all the help she needed because I didn't know how to get her hearing tested, how to get her development tested, how to do anything to assess her learning disability. And I felt, again, mom guilt. I should know how to do that. Well, I was never taught how to work up dyslexia. I didn't know the first thing about it. I love uh, that you just said that because why do we think that we all are doctors once we become parents? And like, I know you are a doctor. Yeah. That even blows my mind even more that it's like, we're just human beings. We're just, just human. A doctor we're just trying to do the best we can. And you exactly. don't know everything. Exactly. So why do we expect that we do? Anyway, right. that, was, that was a great right. aha moment for me. Yeah. So I tell stories like that where I'm just like a regular mom. And I used to make rounds in the evening and the NICU moms would say, oh, let me tell you what my four-year-old did today. Or, oh, let me tell you about my seven-year-old. And we would all tell mom stories. You know, we're talking about our kids and the nurses and the docs and the moms. 
And one of the moms, many moms would look at me and say, oh, you can't have problems like that. Your children are perfect. I'm going, are you kidding? My children are not perfect. We all have problems with our children. It's just the way it is to be a mom. And you just deal with stuff and you kind of learn it as you go and you do the best job you can. And so I wrote the book so that people would recognize the stories, real mom stories, and how I solved those problems with my husband, with my friends, with therapy. I admit to therapy two times in my book when I was 40. Love it. And Love then it. when I got burned out at 60. And, you know, too many practitioners are scared to admit that they're depressed or burnout. And I think too many people still are, are hesitant to admit that they're burned out or maybe they're depressed or they have anxiety. And so I'm here to say there are treatments for all of those conditions. There are ways to feel better. There are people who can help you. And so taking advantage of therapy, taking advantage of a coach, taking advantage of a break, those are big things to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I love what you said at the beginning. And I was just thinking about this because some of us, I know I'm totally guilty of doing it. And I know, I know people that have said it to me that we can make it look like we're doing it all right. Like you had this amazing, amazing career. You're a mom. It looks like on the outside, you're just super mom because you've got three kids and you're a fantastic doctor and you're doing all of the things. And for some reason, people are like, wow, she's so perfect. Oh. So I like to said in the beginning of like, exactly but I like what, what you said in the beginning how it's like you're someone that people will look at like oh she's so successful and has everything going for her and I love that you're putting your struggles out there and you wrote this book to say hey guess what none of us are perfect we all struggle in motherhood we all struggle as working moms or stay-at-home moms or whatever it is it just yeah, yeah normalizes it I've literally had people say that to me because I do the podcast and I work full-time and they're like oh like you just you're doing everything and it's so great and I'm like you know what it's really not <laughs> it's really not like it's I do it being a like, normal mom yeah <laughs> exactly I do these things because I love them oh. I go to my job because I don't know that I love my job anymore, but I do, I, you know, I need to go to my job to pay my bills, number one, but yeah, my job is fulfilling and, Good. Good. you know, I, yeah, so I just, I love that piece about your book that it's oh, like, thanks. hey, guess what? We all struggle. And I have to tell your listeners, I have a website, susanlandersmd.com, and you can get the book there. But more importantly, you can get free resources. Mm, I have a guide, uh, solutions for mom. I have a checklist for burnout on the resources page. Those are free resources. I have lots of blog posts about working mom burnout and working mom stress and explaining stuff. So I'm just really driven to reach other working mothers to try to give them this message that we're all trying to do the best we can. And we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace 
a little bit of room to breathe because we ask ourselves to do too much. Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you. I will put your website, a link to the website, link to your Instagram, everything in the show notes. So everyone can find all of that information there. And before you go, would love to know, I never prepped you for this question because I never knew I was going to ask it until right now. I'm just curious if you could go back and tell your pre-baby self something about being a mother, what would it be? What would you warn yourself about? Say, Hey, guess what? (laughs) I would warn myself to try to not be perfect. Love it. Try not to look everything up and try to know what's coming and try to make sure they're okay and developmentally normal. And just, I would tell myself not to stress about it. That if I was lucky enough to have healthy children, I should just be grateful and enjoy it. And even if I had a sick kid, I would say, okay, well, I could do this. And um, I would just tell myself not to worry so much, not to stress so much. Yeah. I really hope there is a pregnant person listening right now. (laughs) And I hope you take that in. And I hope you don't Google as much as the rest of us did. Yeah. Oh God. Dr. Google. (laughs) Oh oh God. Especially why won't my baby sleep (laughs) now? All those things. Why won't my breast milk come in? Like Uh, just, yeah. Drop the perfection, lower those expectations. I I love that. Right. And talk to your friends. Your friends are going through the same thing. We're all in this boat together. And likely if your friends are not talking about what a hard time they're having, they're needing someone to. So if you just kind of initiate conversation, they're going to be so grateful. Yes, absolutely. I am with you a hundred percent. Well, thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. Um, I'm actually going to order your book tonight because I would really love to read that. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Thanks.